God sure is wonderful, and it's a blessing to be with you this morning. We've, uh, matter of fact, I started out as a single guy raising support, met my wife right before I headed to the field, and we got married, and so that's, uh, God has just been good ever since. So we've been, uh, me and my wife left for language school in 2001. We arrived in uh, the Ivory Coast in 2002. Civil war broke out after a few months, went to the uh, Togo, and that's why Emily was born in Togo. Went over there. Uh, God uh, blessed there for those nine months we were there. A matter of fact, we were actually able to start a small uh, Bible study in a village, bought a piece of land, and I was privileged last year to go back there and uh, see that church that had started uh, there as a small Bible study, and uh, that, that has grown into a full church with a pastor, and it's just a blessing to be able to see that. But we went back to the Ivory Coast, and we were there, and we were working and there for a good year or so, and God was really blessing, but we started a work in a Muslim village. And when we started uh, that work in that Muslim village, most of the people were from the country of Burkina Faso. And so when I was beginning to look at Burkina Faso and, and uh, who was up there, I couldn't find a fundamental Baptist missionary that was in the country. A country of about 18 million people, and there's not one uh, fundamental Baptist missionary that's in the country. Uh, that began to bother me. Finally, I found out there was one man that was there, and, and this was in 2004, but he had arrived in 2003. So I called him up, said I was going to go uh, come visit him if that was okay and see what God was doing. Went up there. God began to burden my heart for that country. And so me and my wife uh, in uh, November, uh, December of 2004, moved up to the country of Burkina Faso, uh, arrived there, and God has been good ever since. Uh, we've been there. I, I, he's, we've actually been able to start by God's grace. Uh, and actually, I should say that we've started. God has started it. God started every one of the churches that's been started. And uh, there's 17 churches that have been started there in Burkina Faso by His grace. Uh, the 18th church should be started uh, here in just the next few months. Uh, we praise God for what He's doing. We have two Bible colleges actually that are started. Uh, one is in our uh, capital. And we call them a Bible college or a training center institute. Well, we don't really, we feel like it's not uh, a Bible college. We want to train people for the ministry. And so that's our whole goal, and so we uh, focus that around church, uh, practical plus uh, doctrinal issues and, and, and things, and so God's been good to us there. Uh, we've got the one that's in the capital, and that's in French, and we've got another one that's about three hours away from where we live, uh, out in a town called Pisila. And uh, Pisila, that one is actually in a tribal tongue. Uh, it was about 2012, three men uh, came up to me, and they said, Pastor... They said, we feel that God wants us to become like you. Uh, now, they didn't know what uh, a call to preach was. They didn't, they, you know, they, the church had been started. They hadn't been in a church where they had seen that. Uh, but God began to put them a desire in their heart to preach the word of God and to lead a ministry. And so I, I, I remember driving and leaving there and I was excited about them on my way home on that three-hour trip. I began to think, how am I going to train these men? Number one, these men... Uh, most of them don't read. They never had an education. Uh, number two, we don't speak the same language. And so we began to pray and ask God what God would have us to do. Uh, you know, sometimes I think people want to look for uh, those that are already, uh, and that's what ends up happening. Uh, a lot of missionaries do this when they go to a field. They look for a ready-made ready -made man to train. Uh, and honestly, I found that those that are ready-made, they don't need me. Uh, and matter of fact, most of the time I don't really need them either and because uh, they've already got too much of something else already. But by God's grace, uh, almost all the men that actually all the men that we've trained that are pastoring, uh, they were either saved in our ministry. Some came to our church, but they were all trained in our ministry. 
uh, and God has been good there. And so we started with those three men. We started doing an oral Bible study. We began to run them through uh, language classes. Uh, and so I think it was a year and a half ago they graduated uh, in God's blessing in that area greatly. But if you'd open up the Bible to, uh, let's look at John chapter number 20. And uh, I'm just going to share with you a, a thought through the Word of God here. And then we'll also share a little bit more about the ministry and what God's doing there in Burkina Faso. And I hope that'll be encouragement to you. Uh, we want to thank the, this church, Bible Baptist Church. Thank you so much for your prayers. Thank you so much for your faithful support. Uh, missions is a, I think missions is a beautiful thing. I really do. Uh, and I guess number one is because it's God's will. Uh, God wants the gospel to go out in the whole world. Uh, whether it's here in Georgia, whether it's across, here in Africa or across the world, God wants the, God wants the gospel to be preached everywhere, and we understand that. Uh, but the beautiful thing I think about missions, it's not about, it's not about one of us, really. Uh, it, when you think about missions, it's not about a pastor, uh, a missionary, an evangelist, uh, or church members. Really, to get the job done, it takes all of us. Uh, when we look at missions, there's not one that's more important than the other. We all really depend on the others. In order for this church to fulfill uh, the Great Commission in, in the whole world and get in the gospel of the world, you need somebody that will leave and go and preach the gospel somewhere else. You've got to have that. But we also need a pastor that will be here that will also uh, preach uh, the gospel faithfully here and have a strong church. If there's not a strong church that will help send somebody, then the one that's being sent has a struggle. And so when you look at the whole thing... And then if you don't have church members that are faithfully supporting the missions program, really, it just doesn't work. And so missions is about all of us, uh, all the body of Christ working together. And when we look at it, it's not about Keith Shoemaker getting the glory, and it's not about one of you getting the glory. It's all about him getting the glory, because it's not about what we've done. It's about what he has done. And so it's a wonderful thing. But if we look at John here in chapter number 20 and look at verse number 38. And after this, I, I think about that after this, what just happened? When we look at after this, we, we look at that and after, if you realize where we're at here in this John chapter number 20, after what? After Calvary. And after Calvary, Joseph of Arimathea, uh, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. He came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came the, also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night, and was brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took, the, then took they the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices as the manner of the Jews is to bury. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new sepulcher, wherein was never man yet laid. There laid they Jesus, therefore, because of the Jew day, for the sepulcher was nigh at hand. We look at two men that are here in this story. We look at Joseph of Arimathea, and you look at Nicodemus. Here's Joseph of Arimathea, and it says right here, he was a disciple of Jesus, but he was secretly for fear of the Jews. He was afraid, and, and no doubt at this time, many of them would be afraid. You, there was great turmoil, great talk, and, and uh, great persecution, and, and, and seeing what was happening and, and how they were so against Jesus, uh, he was afraid. But you see Nicodemus, and, and back in John chapter number 3, we, we know the story of Nicodemus there. Uh, great uh, man, man, I would say, uh, in earthly standards. Uh, no doubt a man that was faithful to read the Word, a man that was faithful to pray, a man that was faithful to fast. Uh, if we looked at him, would be a very moral man. But when Jesus saw him, he said, you must be born again. 
and uh, Nicodemus uh, as uh, he pondered, no doubt, on what Jesus said. But Nicodemus, we don't really see Nicodemus a whole lot. We see him there, but he came there what? He came at night. And most likely he came at night because he was also afraid of who might see him actually going and talking to Jesus. But at one of the hardest times in all of Jesus' life and here on earth, one of the hardest times it would be to come forward and to come out and say you're with Jesus or say you're attached to Jesus. And one way or another, you've got Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea coming forward and, uh, and saying, uh, we want to take the body and we want to prepare him for burial. No doubt that wouldn't have been an easy thing to do at that time. But why at this time do they come forward? I, I think it says very clearly in verse number 38, and after this, it's because of Calvary. When they watched Jesus die on the cross, when they watched how he suffered, when they watched what went on, they finally realized that everything he had said and everything he had done was true and, and real. And they came forward. It's because of Calvary. And why this morning are we here this morning? We're here because of Calvary. Why are we here this morning uh, at 10 o'clock ready to hear the word of God taught and preached and, uh, and sing and, and worship God? It's not because of us. It's because of Calvary this morning. Why, why, am I, why did I displace me and my wife to go to a foreign land and live in a land and, and don't feel sorry for us. We're having the time of our lives. We love watching God work and God move, but we're literally on the backside of a nowhere. And uh, most people, when I walk into a church and if they've never met us and never heard of Burkina Faso, you say, we live in the country of Burkina Faso. And people say, where in the world is that? I've never even heard of that country. It's a, it's a dry land, it's a hot land, it's a, a desolate land in many ways. And, uh, but there's 18, 19 million people that need to hear about Jesus. And so why are we over there preaching about Jesus? Why are we over there spreading the gospel? Why are we over there uh, uh, starting churches and, and working? It's because of Calvary. It's not because of me. It's not because uh, somebody else here on this earth said, I think it'll, you'll fit good in this work and this job and you can do this and you can do that. No, 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 no. It's all because of Calvary. Well, I tell you, Calvary has changed our lives. I, I remember when I came to Shorter College uh, back in 1995, I came as a Catholic boy, a faithful Catholic and, uh, but I, I, God had begun to work in my heart before I came to, the, came to Shorter College there in Rome, Georgia. God began to deal in my heart. Uh, I, I had met a good Christian friend. He began to share with me about Christ. And when he began to share with me about Christ, uh, I realized that I, I, for a lot of time I thought we had the same thing. I, I said, well, what, what you believe and what I believe is, is pretty close and, and we're all going to heaven when we die. You, you've got your few different thoughts. I've got my few different thoughts. But I realized he had something I didn't have. He had a relationship with Christ that I didn't have. When I prayed, I prayed the prayer that my mama taught me. When he prayed, he prayed like he knew God. And I believe he did. And so uh, his dad and, and him one night said, why don't, you pick up the, why don't you pick up the Bible and begin to read the Gospel of John? And so one night as I was reading through the Gospel of John and I had a few offers to play basketball at different, at different colleges, I, I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, I don't know where I need to go. I said, but uh, God, close all the doors and leave one open. And he absolutely did. 
He closed them all. And the only one that was left open at this time was Shorter College there in Rome, Georgia. Got there and a, a good friend of mine, uh, uh, his name is Jason. And Jason began to start a Bible study, invited me to Bible study. I started going to that Bible study. And while I tell you that, that Bible study, after about two months of going to Bible study, I, I realized, I uh, stayed back one night and I said, Jason, would you explain to me about salvation? So he took me through the Romans road, began to explain the verses to the Bible, and I told him this. I said, Jason, I said, from the beginning, I said I, 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 said, I said, I believe that as far back as I can remember, I believe that the Bible was the word of God. I believe that Jesus died. He was buried. He was risen again. I, I believe that he was born of a virgin. There was many of the stories of the Bible that I believed. But I went back to my dorm room back in 1995, and I, I began to ponder. I began to think, who is my trust and who is my faith really in? And I began to realize that my faith was in the church, it was in the priest, it was in the baptism, it was in my good works, and Jesus was mixing all that. But I realized that night that there was nobody else that could save me. The only one that died on Calvary that day was Jesus, and he was the only one that could set me free. And so there, I didn't have a preacher with me. It wasn't in a church, but got there in my dorm, dorm room, got down on my hands and knees, and I said, God, I'm a sinner, and I've trusted, for, trusted in so many things for so long, but tonight I'm trusting in Jesus as my Savior. Will you save me from my sins? And thank God he set me free. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Thank God we're saved, but we're all saved because of Calvary. But that same Calvary that changed my life and the same Calvary that changed your life is the same Calvary that's changing lives all across the world. It's amazing. You can go over it and you can be with us and you can realize that culture is different. You can realize that mentality is different. But the root of all men and the root of all their problems is all the same. We're just all a bunch of sinners. And we all need Calvary. I was thinking about, uh, I was thinking about Pastor Salif. I always want to share you a little bit of a story about Pastor Salif. Pastor Salif is a, one of the greatest men of God that I know in all the world. And uh, I've just been privileged to lead him to Christ and to train him and, and uh, let God send him out and doing a great work for the Lord. But Pastor Salif was born into a Muslim family. His father was an imam the Muslim leader of their mosque in their village. And so the father chooses some of his children to follow in his footsteps. So his earthly father sent Salif off to a uh, country called Mali. He, they lived in the northern part of Burkina Faso, sent him off to Mali. He was there for about five or six years. Uh, he had a teacher, learned how to read and write the Quran. never went to a normal school, never learned how to read French, didn't, never learned ABCs and one, two, threes, those kind of things but he learned how to lead others in the Muslim faith. When he left there in Mali, he came back uh, to the country of Burkina Faso, but his family nor him had the money to finish out their special uh, feast, whatever they do, and, and their, their final sacrifice before they're uh, finally initiated. So he went to the country of the Ivory Coast. There in the Ivory Coast, he arrived, began to work, and began to make some money. And as he began to make some money and, and work and all that other things, he began to... Um, he, he, he began to lead a mosque. They, they, they didn't have a leader, so they asked him, so he began to lead a mosque. And so civil war broke out a short time after that, and he, took a, he moved to a city called Devo. When he moved to that city called Devo, 
he took a, a, a job uh, guarding a house that was there in a neighborhood. Just so happens to be, that was the house that me and my wife moved into in 2002. And so when we arrived, Salif was there. He heard actually a Christian missionary was coming. And he said, I, I'm going to quit this job. And someone else said, well, why are you going to quit that job? And they said, well, if he's a Christian, he's going to force me to be a Christian. And they said, no, he won't do that. Just, just keep the job for a little bit of while. He's, he's an American Christian. They've got his, his, his brother's just up on the hill. He's really nice. Why don't you just wait and see what happens? Well, me and, we got there, and me and Salif created a good friendship and, and, and all, and, and we sit down and talk. But I shared the gospel with him on and off for almost two years. Now, he'd listen, but he'd never, he'd never, never argue, never fuss, never, never do anything else, and, and, uh, but, but, but he never would uh, commit to anything. Ask him to come to church, and he'd always say someday, but he'd never come. Well, I found out later that on Sunday morning, he'd wake up, he'd wash my car, and he'd take off before I'd ever get out the door because he knew I was going to church on Sunday morning. Well, it just so happens one Sunday morning, this is the end of, end of 2004, Salif gets in the back of my vehicle, and I knew exactly what he wanted. He wanted me to drop him off in town. So when we got into town, as before we drove out to the village work, he said, Pastor, he said, can you drop me off? I said, no problem, but I said, I thought you were coming to church with me today. I was just kind of kidding with him. And he says, uh, 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 next week. And so Saturday night rolls around, the next Saturday night rolls around, and I came to Salif, and I said, Salif, I really do want you to come to church. I really would appreciate if you'd come to church today uh, with us uh, tomorrow. And, and, uh, but I just want you to know you're not forced to. I want you to come because you want to. You have a desire to come. So I don't want you to feel like you're forced to. He said, no, I promise you I'll come. So he came, he listened, and matter of fact, he came back the next week. And I can't remember if it was the next week or the third week, but I preached on the blood sacrifice. And I preached how the sacrifice of, uh, of men, and, you, and if you look at their sacrifices and the system of sacrifices is still all over Burkina Faso, uh, the, the animists, they still, that's uh, the ancestry worship, they still sacrifice, they sacrifice quite often. Uh, you can go out to the villages sometimes and you can see where they've created their idols, where they've created their gods, and, and you can see the blood that's stripped around those idols. And, and sometimes you can even see the feathers as they, they're stuck to the blood that has just recently been sacrificed there on, on that idol. And, uh, but, uh, Pastor, so I preached that morning that uh, you, you, you realize when they sacrifice, what do they have to do? Every time they have to sacrifice again and again and again and again and again and again and again for the rest of their life. And then when they die, someone continues to sacrifice. And then they die and someone continues to sacrifice. But by, by God's grace, when Jesus died on the cross, there was no more sacrifice that was needed. It was finished. And when I gave the invitation, Salif raised his hand. I went back and talked to him a little bit. And then he bowed his head. And he had trusted Christ as his Savior. And just shortly thereafter, just, we moved up to the country of Burkina Faso. And I said, Salif, if you want to go with me, uh, to Burkina Faso, we'd be glad to have you. He said, sure. So he traveled up with us to Burkina Faso, and uh, a couple of months after being there, he came to me one day, he said, Pastor, I want to learn how to read. Can you help me? And I said, why do you want to learn how to read? He says, well, you've given me a Bible. And he says, when I come to church, he says, I open up the Bible, but I can't even read what you're reading. He said, can you teach me? And I said, you know, I think there's someone that's a whole lot better teaching you how to read than me. And I said, that's probably my wife. She's a teacher and she can teach you on that. So my wife worked with him for about four or five months. And, and uh, after that, he began to read and, and God began to bless that. And, and uh, just, just anything that needed to be done. Salif, if you'd meet him with all of our other pastors, 
you would never imagine what God has done through his life. Because amongst the other pastors, he's kind of that quiet guy that's kind of in the background. But uh, if you go out to where he works and uh, where God's blessing and God's meeting, even the chiefs, you're, sometimes you look at this chief and you look at Salif and you're trying to think, who's actually the chief here? And, uh, but God's just blessed in that way. But uh, Salif was always the guy that was kind of the behind-the-scenes guy, but whenever you needed something done, he would do it. So in 2009, I guess it was, we, we had actually started a work together in 2005. I'm going to share this testimony. It's a great testimony. 2005, there was a car mechanic when, I, when we drove up from the Ivory Coast, drove my vehicle up. I needed some, some car repair work and uh, asked one of the missionaries where to go. He pointed me a certain direction, and there's this man called Vieux. Vieux means old man. And uh, that was his name since he was a little kid. He called him old man. But if you see an old man in... Burkina Faso, that's what you call them typically. You call them old man. I know in America that would never pass, but over there that passes. So my father came one day to visit me, and I said, I said, Dad, I know in America I can never call you my old man. I said, but here in Burkina Faso, that's respect, so I'll call you my old man while you're here. And I uh, just came with my father, of course. But uh, we, you uh, asked me, he said, he said, are you a missionary? I said, yes, I am. He said, can you... Uh, come and preach Jesus to my village. He said, I, I, I've been going to church. He said, I've trusted Christ as my Savior. He said, I don't even know how to read and write. I don't know much about uh, uh, that kind of things. And, and he says, but I've been asking missionaries to come and preach to my people, but everyone says they're too busy, they can't come. I said, I can't promise you a church. I can't promise you anything. But if you'll set it up, we'll go. And so Saturday rolls around, we drive up there about three, three and a half hours, go out to the village, and when we showed up, uh, there was over 200-something people there under a mango tree. They received us. We preached the gospel to a place where it never heard uh, the message of Jesus one time in their life. Matter of fact, they don't have radio out there. Now they probably have a little bit of that, uh, but, but not a whole lot. They didn't have television. They don't have any of that. First time they'd ever heard about Jesus. And uh, a few of the ladies got saved that morning. We were excited. Went back out. Uh, and we started going out every other week. Every other Saturday is what we went. And we did that for almost four years. And uh, God helped us develop that into a church. And, and, and there with the members and, and us helping with some finances, built a, a church building uh, there. It was a small building, but uh, just God just greatly blessed that work. And, uh, but in 2009, we know we needed to start Sunday morning services. So I asked our young pastors that were there, who's willing to go? And uh, go travel out. Now, it wasn't going to be an easy trip. And finally, Salif shoots his hand up and he says, Pastor, I'll go if no one else wants to go. So Friday night, he would guard all night at the house. Saturday morning, before I ever woke up, he would get on his bike, pedal in a town about 45 minutes, put his bike on top of a bus, ride about another couple hours, get the bike off. He'd have to put it on like a little travel van that would go to the smaller town. Then he'd have to get the bike back off again, the top of that, that little van. Then he'd have to pedal for about 45 minutes to an hour to get to where he was. So what took me about three hours and three and a half hours by car in my air conditioning car took him about seven hours trip every Saturday morning. But he started doing Sunday school. Uh, or he would, he would do children's, children's ministry Saturday night. He would do a service Saturday night and a service Sunday morning. He would make that long haul all the way back. Most of the time be there for church uh, Sunday night. And, uh, and he would guard all night Sunday night. And that was his life for about three years. Never complained, never fussed. Every time I asked him, how are things going? He was excited about what God was doing. 
And so I said, Salif, uh, when, when he finished in 2012, I said, Salif, what, what do you want to do? What, where is God leading you? He says, well, I've been, being, I've been leading those, uh, the, the, the people there in that village for a long time. He said, I don't feel like I can abandon them. I said, I don't think we ought to. He said, but there's a small town called Pisila. That is, it's the market town. And that's how a lot of our country is set up. You've got a couple of big towns, but most of the time you've got a few small towns and those few small towns are bordered by villages all around and they will come in every third day to market day. And so that's how this works. And so he said, I feel like if we start a church there in Pisila, we can use that to help reach the other villages. And sure enough, he started a church there in 2012 there in Pisila and God just began to bless from there. He, he, he had a member of his church that is actually a... Uh, Moray language teacher. Moray is the local language there. He, is, he was funded by the government to help teach uh, the, uh, the people uh, how to read in their own language. So he was sent out about 22 kilometers, I think it is, from the city of Pisila out to the middle of absolutely nowhere. And uh, just on the backside of nowhere. And if you think about National Geographic, that's exactly what that is, basically. And so one day, he calls Pastor Salif and says... I, I, I've been talking to these people about Jesus and they want to hear some more. Can you come? He said, I'll gather them up. And so Pastor Salif then calls me up and says, I'm here in this village and uh, there's about 60 people here today and uh, can you come and, uh, and, and preach to them and we'll talk to them again and, and all. And so by God's grace, we, we went, I think it was a week or two later, we showed up and uh, uh, showed a gospel film and preached to them and had about 200 people there. And I don't know how many people uh, trusted Christ that night, but there was a whole big old huge group. About half of the, the people that were there came forward and trusted Christ as their Savior. It was a great, just a great, great evening. And uh, so that church was birthed. And I asked a man, I asked a man one day, I said, I said uh, as we were sitting there one night after we had, had service on a Saturday night, I said, has anyone before we got here ever preached Jesus in this village? Have you ever heard about Jesus? And he said, my father, who is now the chief, he said, my father came here in this village as a little boy. He says, there has never been one gospel witness of any sort. No, I'm talking about no church, nothing, until you came. And so we were privileged to start that, and, and Salif has then started three other churches uh, there in that area. And I was with Pastor Salif uh, the other day, and Pastor Salif, uh, before, before we came back, I said, Pastor Salif, what prayer request do you have? He said, Pastor, we have 60 villages that border this town. And that means there's 60 villages that need a, a church. And would you pray that God would help us to start 60 churches? Amen. I like a man with a vision. Amen. You say, uh, our pastors, we've been praying. We've been praying and, and people think I'm crazy. People thought I'm crazy for a long time ago. But I'm, God's still moving and working. Amen. And uh, I, we, we began to pray and we began to talk. How can we reach Burkina Faso? What do you need to reach Burkina Faso? You literally need thousands of churches. One of our pastors, his name is Justin, but Pastor Justin, I was in that church for almost nine years. It's called Living Water Baptist Church before I left it to start a new one. And uh, he has a banner that's there and has some of their goals, but he has 8,000 villages equals what? 8,000 churches. Now, 
I was sharing a few years ago in one of the churches here in America that we've been praying, me and the pastors have been praying that if God would allow us to start over a thousand churches. And that pastor came up to me and afterwards said, that sounds good and all, but do you really think you can start a thousand churches? I said, pastor, I've not even started one church. God started them all. And if God wants to start a thousand of them, he can do whatever he wants to. We're just going to work as hard as we can and let God do the rest. Amen. That's the way we do it. And so I, I, I do believe that Pastor Salif, but pray for him. I, I don't know if you've seen in the news, terrorism has taken the country by storm, great storm. If you look on the embassy website now, uh, I would say seven-eighths of the country is now in the total red zone except for where we live in the capital of Ouagadougou, and that's a, it's on a scale of one, two, three, and four. Uh, the rest of the country is on a four. Uh, where we live is in a n- number three. Uh, basically, you shouldn't come. Uh, number four is you should not go. And, uh, but we're just trusting God and what, what God will do. Terrorism crept in. Burkina Faso for years. You could travel anywhere. You could go freely anywhere. Uh, never feared anything. Well, about two years ago, they started attacking. They started attacking police checkpoints, uh, police stations, uh, ran them out of over a third of the country. Literally, terrorists come in, on 20 of them come in with uh, uh, rifles, you know, machine gun rifles, basically, and, and uh, 18 or so, 20 of them come in, and there's four or five policemen. What are they going to do against them? And so, basically, it's ran out, the policemen out. Then they've shut down over 2,000 schools uh, in the country uh, of a country that we're actually the, the most illiterate country in the world. Uh, they're in Burkina Faso. They've shut down over 2,000 schools. The only schools that are allowed to operate in the northern part and the eastern part right now are Quranic schools, those that teach the Quran. And so the, they, um, it, it seemed like that was all they were doing for a while, but about two months ago, they started attacking churches. And so uh, they've actually uh, killed a couple pastors. They've killed a couple priests in the last few months. Uh, and Pastor Salif is actually kind of in that zone uh, a little bit. He called me up a few months ago. Was about, I noticed he had called me about 9.15, and I looked down at my, it's 9.15. I said, that's a little strange for him to call me. It's 9.30. I said, I'll call him back. He usually didn't call me that late. And so I called him back about 9.30, and he was whispering, and I was like, I can't hear you. Your phone's turned all wrong or maybe something. And I realized he's whispering for a reason. He's saying, Pastor, pray for us. He says, there's literally bullets being fired outside of our home right now. His family was huddled down in the corner, and he, you know, they were, all tried to find the safest place they could. But the next day on Facebook, I woke up and I saw him the next day on Facebook. And uh, he was out in the village preaching the gospel the next day. Amen. Amen. And uh, pray for them. There's no police left and there's no security left in their town. Uh, there's no security left in, in those areas uh, anymore. And so they're just uh, doing what God would have them to do. Uh, but I want to share, you, share that first, the first village that we started in 2005 I was telling you about. And when we arrived there and the, the car mechanic invited us out, there was a chief. The chief came out. And uh, the, the, uh, the chief came out that first day. And uh, he came out, I think, when we started our, we had our church building. We had a special service. He came out for that. And that was a blessing. And then uh, uh, shortly thereafter, uh, we'd visit him a few times in his village. And, and, and God had just greatly, uh, we would share with him and, uh, the gospel. But he'd say something similar the whole, every time. He said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that people are going to the church. I'm so glad lives have been changed. 
And uh, that, he'd just leave it at that. That was the end of it. Well, it was about 2012, 2013, we heard he was really sick. And so uh, they, they, they told us, they said he was over 100 years old. I don't know how old he was, but when you look at him, he had to have been somewhere around there. And uh, just an old, old, old chief. And so we arrived and, and he couldn't get up from his chair. And at this time, he couldn't see very well. But we began to talk with him. He realized who we were and he was still in his right mind. And we wanted to share the gospel with him one last time. And so we, we went through the gospel again with him and he listened. And at the end of going through the, going through the plan of salvation, going through everything out of him, he said, I'm so glad you're here. So glad that you've started a church. It's wonderful. And uh, he said, I'm so glad there's people coming. So Pastor Justin, who I was talking to you about a little bit ago, Pastor Justin came and knelt beside the chief and he said, chief, he said, you and I both know you won't be here much longer. You said it's good for everybody else, but what about you? That hundred year old chief put his head down and began to ponder for about 10 seconds and he picked his head back and he says, if it's good enough for everybody else and it's good enough for me. And a few minutes later, he bowed his head and he accepted Jesus Christ as his savior. He died a couple months later, but he shared his testimony with us. He said, when I became chief of this village, he said, I was a young man. He said, and when I was here and when I became a chief as a young man, he said, I'd hear stories of men that would come in with a book. And that book, there would be a man who would give a message from the book and and that book would transform lives. And he said that I looked up into the sky and I looked up into the heavens and I said, what? I said to God, I said, God, would you send a man with the book? He said, years passed on. He said, and then one day, you came in your car and you got out of your car. He said, you greeted us like we normally greet people and everything else. But he said, you went back to the car. He said, and you picked up the book. He said, and you got the book out and you opened up the book and you gave a message from the book. And that book has transformed lives. And now it's transformed my lives. By God, it's all because of Calvary. Just like we said, it's because of Calvary. It's not because I'm special. It's not because of me. It's not because of what I can do or what you can do. It's because of Him today. God is good. And I can tell you story after story after story. Now, people have asked me, said, well, with the current situation, uh, uh, are you going to go back? Now, I don't know what leads ahead and God can guide us and God can direct us and the Holy Spirit, sure enough, can, 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 can keep us from going or not. And, and of course, we follow God's lead. But God never said go if you're comfortable. God didn't say go if it's easy. God didn't say go if you're safe. I remember I was talking to a, a great missionary one day and I was asking him and I said, one of the fears I have is one of our young men that have come from a Muslim family, their family comes and kills them or we send them off to a, a hard part of Burkina Faso and they persecute him and kill him because of his faith. I said, I'd have a hard time living with that. And he told me something point blank and I've never forgotten and I think it's true. He said, if we're going to evangelize, if we're going to go out into all the world, there's going to have to be some that are going to die. That's exactly right. We don't like that, do we? You know what the problem is with most of us? It's not really that we're seeking God's will. We have our will and we ask God to bless our will. 
I had a pastor with me back in January, Pastor Andy Wells with me. And as Pastor Andy Wells was preaching one night, I was translating for him. And he shared this thought. I never thought about it before. He said, there's a great difference between surrender and submission. I never thought about it. I always preached surrender was the same thing as submission. And I understand that a lot of times when preachers, and when I preached it, I was meaning it's both together. But I do feel there's a lot of people in our churches sometimes will surrender, but they're not submitted. And that's a big problem. What happens with surrender? Oh, surrender is when you pick up that white flag and you begin to say, I surrender. But honestly, you didn't surrender because you wanted to. You surrendered because you felt you had to. You want to know why a lot of missionaries don't make it? Why they quit? Why people get discouraged? They weren't submitted to God's will. They just surrendered to God's will for a time. The prosperity gospel, what's the problem with that? God, I'm asking you, bless it. What's the problem with a lot of us? God, here's my will. Here's what I have fixed to do. Here's my plan. God, bless that. I told you about Living Water Baptist Church. My plan was never to stay there for nine years. I wanted to start what I called a model church. And by God's grace, uh, when we got started with it, I sat down with a pen and paper. And I said, Every, if I was pastor in the state, what ministries would I want? And I listed one, two, three, four. I came up with about 20-something different ministries. And I said, by God's grace, before I leave here, we're going to try and start all those ministries in this church. I wanted to create a model church. They didn't know what a fundamental Baptist church should look like. They didn't see, they'd never seen one. They've seen the Catholic church. They've seen the charismatic church. They've never seen a good Baptist church. And so if they were going to see one, we had to start one. And so uh, we began to plug away and do that. And, and, and there was one day, Pastor Conte, I was sharing this testimony with a friend of mine yesterday because he's in a similar situation. I was going to leave. After a furlough, I came back. The church was doing well. I decided if the church is doing well, it's time for me to go start another one. Well, at the same time, we were going to send Pastor Salif off uh, and a couple of other men off. They'd finished their, their training, had been with me for a number of years, and we were sending them off to go and, and start churches. Uh, Pastor Salif, we were coming up with a plan for him to go to Pisila. And when we started that, talking about the plan, Salif walked away, and, and he never said that he wasn't going to go. He actually was for the plan. Pastor Konate, who I was going to leave the church to, he was my assistant at that time, he looks at me and says, if Pastor Salif doesn't want to go, I'll go. And I thought, what in the world is he saying? Now, my plan was, was to leave that church in a few months with him and go start with another young man, uh, another work. And so I went home and I began to think about that and I began to think, God, he's about to mess up my plans. <laughs> now, my plans weren't wicked plans. My plans weren't carnal plans. My plans were to go start another church. But that wasn't God's plans. So I battled that at the house for about three or four hours. Finally, I said, Lord, if you want them to go, let them go. I came back to Conate. I said, Conate, you said if Salif doesn't go, you'll go. He said, that's what I said. I said, well, what if Salif goes? He said, I still want to go start a church somewhere else. And I said, well, why do you want to go? I said, if I'm the problem, if I'm hindering you, if I'm holding you up from doing the work of God here, I said, I've got confidence in you. I will leave tomorrow. I will never preach in this church again. The church I started, I'll never preach here one more time until you invite me. If I'm the problem, I'll leave today. He goes, you're not the problem, Pastor. He said, we've been praying for God to start hundreds of churches, if not thousands of churches. He said, I think we need to go start a few. So he went off and I got stuck at Living Water Baptist Church for a few more years. But that was all in God's plan. 
Sometimes we ask God to bless our plans. Really, we need to pray and say, God, what is your will? And bless your will for our lives. Well, I tell you, we serve a good God, don't we? God is good. He is wonderful. I, I put that often on Facebook. I'll share about what God's doing. I'll put God as good. And one day I woke up and I said, I wonder if people think I just put God as good just because he does something. You know, God's good even when he doesn't do anything. God's just good. That's his nature. God is good. And so I woke up that Sunday morning before I went to preach. And before I, uh, when I was just praying and so I, I wrote on Facebook, I just put in big words, God is good. That's all I put. He is good. Hey, hey, praise the Lord when he does wonderful things. That's, he is good. But he's always good. We serve a great God. People ask about, say, we appreciate the sacrifice you make. Now, if you're talking about sacrificing Pizza Hut and McDonald's and those things, you can call it sacrifice. But it's a privilege for me and my family to serve the Lord. It's an honor. When I think about a sacrifice, I don't think about me sacrificing a whole lot. You know what a sacrifice? That's Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary. It's an honor to serve my Lord and Savior. God is good this morning. Thank you so much for uh, your faithful support, your prayers. We've got a whole bunch of prayer cards with us back there. Uh, just new prayer cards. Uh, just got them the other week. And, uh, and so, but God, uh, God has been good. Thank you so much. Thank you for how you support missions. Uh, we hear a lot of testimonies about, uh, uh, matter of fact, we watch your Jubilee every once in a while, uh, all the way in Burkina Faso. And so we're blessed, we're blessed on the backside of nowhere uh, there in Burkina Faso by what the Bible Baptist Church is doing. God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you. Amen.